Today we're going to tackle the question, uh, how do you relate to your city? As I said, my name is Slim. If you just came in, my uh, pastor here at Mosaic. If you're online, glad you're here with us. Um, but how do you relate to your city? How do you love the city that you're in or the world that you're in? Some of y'all might be asking that question in, in a different way of saying, how can I stay a Christian in the city that I'm, I'm living in? How can I not amputate my faith? How can I not get absorbed into the, to the culture um, with all of its temptations to, to cave and to cheat? Uh, how do I, do I, do I just disdain the city? Do I retreat from the city? These are the questions we're going to be asking about how do we relate to the city. And so uh, today we're going to be talking about the city of God. And we're going to look at this uh, in three ways, the goodness of the city, the evils of the city, and then lastly, a city within a city. So the goodness of the city, the evils of a city, and then a city within a city. Now for the last couple of weeks, uh, we've walked through chapters 13 through 23. It's your first day with us, a little Netflix catch up here. It's, uh, it's in this book um, that, that we're, we're looking at in Isaiah, and the 13 through 23 is this particular section, this overarching theme of that section is stop trusting in the nations. The nations will not, will not save you. Stop trusting in them. And if you were to only look at the last couple chapters in looking at that, you might conclude that the nations are the main actors in the book of Isaiah, that the nations are the ones in charge, and that the Lord is just reacting to the nations. But chapters 24 through 27 correct that impression. Uh, this section of Scripture is sometimes referred to as Isaiah's Apocalypse. Super exciting, right? Isaiah's apocalypse. And if you don't believe me, chapter 24 that we didn't read uh, describes the complete and utter destruction of the entire earth. Um, verse 1 says this of chapter 24. It says, See, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. Kind of rough. But let's skip down to verse 17. Terror and pit and snare await you, people of the earth. Whoever flees at the sound of the terror will fall into a pit. Whoever climbs out of the pit will be caught in a snare. It's a little rough. It's a, it's a little harsh. Um, it, it sounds a lot like the book of Revelation. And like the book of Revelation, you wonder, after reading a chapter like 24, how does the book even go on? How does the Bible continue on after the world has been completely destroyed utterly like that, where everyone is wiped out? How does God, how, how does time continue after that? Well, I think what that means is that we need to learn what God is trying to teach us, that judgment and destruction are never God's intended last words. That judgment and destruction are never his last words here. Rather, he intends that those harsh words will pave the way for some hope for some redemption, and not just in the end times, but for the people in Isaiah's day. This is a message to the people in Isaiah's day, not just for the end times. And so Isaiah is telling them, these chapters here, he's telling them a tale of two cities. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, right? This is the tale of two cities, but for Isaiah, it is the strong city and the lofty city are the two cities that he's contrasting here. The strong city describes the goodness of cities, and that's what we want to look at, the goodness of cities. 
Chapter 26, verse 1 says, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation's salvation its walls and ramparts. Now people in that day would trust. Their trust would be in the strength of their walls around them. But in the strong city, their trust is not in the walls around them. The walls are going to be salvation. And so that's what they are trusting in, trusting in God's salvation. And so Isaiah has been many times called the, the, the prophet of the cities, or this book is the, the book of the city, because Isaiah talks about cities over 60 times in this, in this book. In this couple chapters here, he talks about it a lot. I mean, he, he begins chapter uh, 26, verse 1, saying, and that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We built this city, right? He, he, he's excited. <laughs> Sorry, I felt like it had to happen. It was required by the Lord to sing an 80s song, right? That, that he was so excited about singing about the city. The Bible has so much, such a positive view of the city. We typically don't. The Bible has such a big view of the city and, and thinks of it as, as a place of salvation. We get worried and nervous about cities. If, if, if our kids grew up and they moved off to Chicago or to Los Angeles or to New York, we're like, oh, are they going to be Okay. Are they going to survive and make it? Or will the city eat them alive? But the Bible doesn't see it that way. The Bible sees cities as a place for salvation, as, as a place where anyone in their right mind would want to live. Uh, Psalm 107 talks about the people and saying, oh, how sad it is that they don't live in a city and they're off in the land. And they beg and cry out to God, please let us come to a city. And God says, sure, and brings them in. And it's a celebration. When the children of Israel leave the promised land and go, and, or leave uh, the wilderness and go into the promised land, the first thing God does, he orders them to build six cities. He orders them to build six cities. He orders urbanization, walls and gates and town squares. And so what is the big deal with the city? Feels very Seinfeld-esque. What's the big deal with cities, right? <laughs> cities, cities give us the best of humanity. Think of it like you go to some of these nicer cities and you're like, oh, a real art gallery. Oh, the symphony, all these beautiful cathedrals. Like cities have the best of humanity. They have public transportation. I know sometimes it's not great, but it's, it, in, in theory, it's, it's a beautiful thing. There's more job opportunities, right? Like the cities by definition are just locations where there is a very dense populations. And that density is a density of God's most valuable possession, his image bearers. And so, of course, God loves cities. His people are in it in, in high capacity. And so, so a city provides this greatest chance for this diversity of human connections possible because in cities, you're, gonna, you're bound to find someone just like you. Also, in cities, you're bound to find someone who's nothing like you, and you get to be put right next to one another. And there's a beauty in that. And verse 2 says this, Open the gates of the city, that the righteous nation may enter the nation that keeps the faith. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And so in that city, you will have, what does it say? Perfect peace is what the translators say. Perfect peace. And in the Hebrew, when, when you want to emphasize something, you, you, you double it up. You put it twice. The word for peace is shalom. And so what it really says there is that you will have shalom, shalom. You will have full, infinite peace. 
things will be brought back together the way they were meant to be. Shalom. Now, where is this city? What city is this? Have you been to this city? I mean, the, the questions are like, I mean, cities are good, but they're, they're not that good. They're not, they're not that good. And as we said earlier, that cities can, be the, can give us the best of humanity, right? They can give us also the worst of humanity, as you know. That cities can give us all of these great joys and, 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 and options, but it, even though it's the place of the greatest joys, it's also the place of the greatest oppression, right? Like cities have more opportunities and more access to food and healthcare and jobs, but cities also have more loan sharks and more drug traffic and substance abuse and more opportunities for sin. I mean, Dallas and Houston are, are right near us, and we, we love these cities, right? Some of our favorite sports teams are there. I'm an Astros fan. It's, it's easy right now to be an Astros fan. It's a little bit harder to be a Texans fan, but as well as a Cowboys fan, <laughs> right? So we, 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 we love these cities. We love that they're, they're so big that bands and our, our favorite you know, music groups will come there. We love to visit them. And yet in these two cities, we find some just crazy high statistics about sex trafficking coming in and through these cities internationally. And just modern-day slavery happening right in our state, two hours north, three hours south of us. And we know that there's that happening in, in Waco as well, but just in, in high capacity in, the, in these larger cities. And so there, in cities, you have this dichotomy of the best and the worst of humanity. I mean, I can't think of something more, like something worse than kidnapping a kid and bringing them into that that industry. There's something gross about that. And so you have the best and the absolute worst. And so a city is a mixed bag, right? And God steps in in 26.5. It says, he humbles those who dwell on high. He lays low. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. And that lofty city that lofty city is marked by what? I mean, just looking at that passage there, it is, it's marked by pride. The lofty city is marked by pride. It thinks itself high and God lays it low. And so here's the difference between the strong city and, and, and the lofty city. The strong city and the lofty city. This, this is from the North African theologian uh, Augustine. And he says it this way in his book, The City of God. It's a light read you can enjoy before bedtime. <laughs> Some of y'all have read it. Um, it says this, Two cities have been formed by two loves, the earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God, and the heavenly by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. The former, in a word, glories in itself, the latter in the Lord. For the one seeks the glory from men, but the greatest glory of the other is God, the witness of our conscience. The one lifts up its head in its own glory, and the other says to its God, thou art my glory and the lifter up of my head. I want to say that. That you are my glory, not me. That I live to love and worship you. But too many times I can see myself as living and loving to worship me and to building myself up and building up my glory. And these are two cities. These are two different ways of living and operating in this world. And so one is a love of God. It's a love of God to live and to serve God and to work for that shalom in the world. And the other is a love of self. And so do, do you want your greed to go unchecked? In this city, we have opportunities for you. 
Do you want to build a name for yourself and build up your, your kingdom in this city? You've got all the opportunities in the world. Do you want a substance or something to addict you? Oh, we've got that for you in this city. We've got many things to, to hook you and addict you in this city. And yet, the playlist always ends. The show always comes to an end. The high goes away. And we're always left unsatisfied in that city. Like the lofty city is chaotic. It is chaotic. It is, it's chaos when everyone is just living and seeking the glory themselves. Chapter 24, verse 10 says it this way, the ruined city lies desolate. And that Hebrew word for ruined is the word tohu, which is a throwback to creation. When God looked over the earth and he said it was tohu and bohu, it was formless and void. And so when we live on earth, with the earthly love of self, we are decreating ourselves, is what that is saying. That we are going back to just chaos, to a ruined self, formless and void and empty and always wanting more. Do y'all feel that? I mean, do you feel that when you, maybe you watch an amazing show on Netflix and you go, well, what's next? Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you had such a great time with friends and at the end you're like, I'm still kind of empty. There's always something lingering there, this, this longing for something more. And it reminds me of this, this Trent Reznor song, it's Nine Inch Nails, way back, throwback, in his song Hurt, where he says, everyone I know goes away, and you could have it all. My empire of dirt, that I will let you down and I will make you hurt. I mean, just look at these, these lyrics. This is just so sad. I mean, this is, the, this is the way of seeing the world that everyone goes away in the end, so what's the point? And that the glory of my kingdom is just a glory of dirt. Why do I care about any of it? This is the emptiness. This is the emptiness of that city that just lies desolate that we are all living in. That we're all saying, no, this is the city I want to be a mayor of. And so how do you know if you're living in this city? Well, not too long after this passage is written, the Babylonian Empire comes and they, they actually sack Jerusalem. And Babylon takes its, Jerusalem's leaders, the best of the best of Israel, takes them in, in a way into exile. And the point of taking the leaders of the community, was to, to make sure that they, this group of people would lose their faith, their convictions, and bow to the Babylonian idols and their way of, of living. This purpose of this exile was cultural annihilation, to make them forget everything that they value. And they know that's why they're being, they're, they, they were taken away. And so now Israel, in exile, has a decision to make. Do we have, we have these two options. Do we isolate from the city that we've just been trafficked into? Do we live on the outskirts and keep our, our identity to, and be careful to avoid Babylonians? Or do we join the city and risk losing ourselves? It's a, it's a question you might be asking here in this world here. Do I, do I retreat in a way and avoid the city or do I go all the way into it? 
I remember in high school, I, I had this, this dilemma come up in front of me. Uh, I was uh, with, on the football team, and I was about to quit uh, the, the team. I was a junior in high school, and my youth leader said, why do you want to do that? And I was like, the talk in the locker room is just gross. I want no part of it. It's making, it, 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 you know, it's rubbing off. And his encouragement was something similar to I think, the encouragement that I think God gives the people of Babylon here, is move into that. To be a presence in that city, in that, that place. Here's what God says to, to Israel in Jeremiah 29. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace the word shalom, and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I cannot think of a better passage that just says, love where you live. Love the city, love where you are at, where you are at. Love it. Start, he says, plant gardens. Start businesses, you know, like put roots down and seek the shalom of the city that has killed many of your brothers and sisters. That puts this passage in a very different setting, right? To the people who, who, have, who are working towards your cultural annihilation, who have killed your brothers and sisters, he says, seek their prosperity, their good. Like, hmm, that gets uncomfortable, right? Don't hate the city. Don't isolate from the city. Move forward into it and love it. And what is that called? I mean, that is, that is just grace. That is, that, is, that is radical grace to love the people who hate you. That is radical love and mercy. He says, go in there as servants. I mean, this is the radical nature of the gospel that can be very offensive. To love even a violent empire like Babylon. And he says, if you go in there simply to increase your tribe or your wallet, you will fail. You'll get taken away by the tide. If you come to build your own brand, even to build your own church, if that's your goal, you will be co-opted and lose the reason that you came in the first place. But if you go not looking at what you can take from the city, but looking at how you can join in the city... And join in the good that's happening there and serve alongside of it. Not only does the city flourish, you flourish too. This is, this is radical for these people. And I know it feels radical to us now as well and, and to actually love someone like that. But that's what's happening here. And what this is describing is being a city within a city. Not only does the Bible contrast two types of cities, the good, the bad, the lofty, uh, the the great, uh, the strong, the two ways of living. He's describing being a city within a city. And so how can you live marked by a love of God as opposed to a love of self? Well, Jesus speaks about a city too. In, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14, he says this, that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And Jesus isn't just pulling any metaphor out, out from anywhere. He knows Isaiah. He quotes Isaiah a lot. 
He knows that this this is a city that is marked by true shalom. And so what Jesus is saying is that you are a city, which is a really weird thing to say. Because a city is a a very large group, densely populated group, that you are the city, that you are a city on a hill. He's saying that you are an alternate city. You are a city within a city, a different way of living, which means this, that just coming to church and listening to a sermon and reading your Bible doesn't make you a city though it's good, important things. What makes you a city within a city is when you are actually seeking the shalom of the people around you. You're not an alternative city unless you're creating this type of shalom or perfect peace. Like making peace isn't just about having a good feeling, these good warm vibes. That's not making peace. Making peace is, is reweaving the fabric that has been torn asunder. Have you ever seen a, a fabric in a quilt? Maybe it was your grandmother's quilt. And you had someone finally, finally, after years of just ignoring it, finally reweave it back together and it comes anew. That is, that is the shalom that's, that's being talked about here. Of actually making right what is wrong. Of seeing the tears in our society and saying, God has called me to be a part of remaking this world. And so where do you see the tears in our society? Where do you see the the things that are just broken? Let's start real local. Let's start at home. I think many of us can see this even in our own marriages. And we can see the tears and the the breaks that are happening there. And so a very simple application of this is let's talk about this. Let's talk about this with our friends, our marriages, our our friends. Say, ask each other, how is it going? Let's, Let's do marriage counseling regularly. Like, this is an easy way to apply this. To ask for help is a very simple thing for us to be able to do. And so where do you see the tears? Some of us, that doesn't apply. We're like, cool. I hope someone (laughs) that is married thinks about that. But for others of us, where do you see the tears in, in, in your realm, in your society, in our city, in our relationships? I mean, this is what we say when we say, you know, our mission of adoring Christ, applying the gospel, and acting with mercy and justice. Acting with mercy and justice is not just some mosaic program that we've adopted and you guys got to come and join, though we try to give you some avenues for that. Acting with mercy and justice is how you see the inequalities all around us. You seeing the inequalities in healthcare and saying, I want to be a light there. You seeing the discrepancies in the education system and saying, someone should do something. And if I see it, maybe I've been gifted to be able to be the one that helps reweave it back together. It's patching the holes in the quilt of Waco is what God is calling us to do. That's how you move all the way into the city, creating shalom wherever you're at. And so let's be creative thinking about that. How has God called you to create that shalom? But where where are you going to get that power to do that? How are you going to be able to go, I'm going to, for, for once, take my eyes off of myself and look outwards, which is a really hard thing to do because there's a lot of things for us to put our, our eyes on, right? There's a lot of things, and you can think a lot of problems and, and things, even just to-do lists, to busy up our lives. So how are we going to take our eyes off ourselves and seek the good of others? And that's when I say we have to look at the beauty of the final city, We had it read earlier in chapter 25, verse 7. It says, on this mountain, you might stop me and say, that's not a city, Slim. Hold on. (laughs) This passage in the Bible in general 
refers to Jerusalem as the final city. And Jerusalem was the image of the city of God here on earth. And at its center, at the highest place of the city, was Mount Zion and the temple. And so to talk about the mountain was to talk about the city. So let me go again. On this mountain, city, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. Oh, it's just so beautiful, right? We're all longing for that. Because even as you read this here, like God could have said, I'm just going to end all suffering. But he doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, I'm going to wipe away the tears. Who does that? Who would you let do that to you? There's got to be some intimacy there. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what mothers do. That's what fathers do. That's what someone who deeply loves you does. And God says, I'm going to wipe away your tears. And so if you know that you have that type of love of a Savior, if you know you, are, you already have that love and that glory from the king of the universe, that will change how you live here on this city. You no longer care about building your kingdom here, your empire here. You have, all of, you have all that you ever need in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who says, I will wipe away your tears. I love you deeply. Like, this is what we are so desperately all craving for. This is, the, this is what will, will actually end all of that, 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 that scare, that the, high will, the high of these, these beautiful songs and these beautiful experiences. We're like, I don't want the mountaintop to ever end. You actually have something that will be lasting forever in Jesus Christ. And it says that he will destroy the shroud and swallow up death. What's the shroud? The shroud is, is, is your grave clothes. It's, it's, it's the clothes that go around the dead body. And he said, and it, it, what this is telling us is that all people live under the grave clothes. And all of us live under the threat of death. And he has destroyed the shroud and swallowed up death. How? How? By sending Jesus Christ to swallow up death for you. That Jesus Christ volunteered himself to go on this rescue mission to save humanity. And instead of Jesus saying, what can I get out of this world and seek to plunder it? Jesus says, how can I serve it? How can I come to this world and serve and, and love it, even to my own death? Now, every single one of us will die. Every single one of us will die. And Jesus did die. But Jesus was the only one who chose to die. Because we all have death coming to us. When sin enters the world, death enters the world. But Jesus, the only sinless human being, chose, what does it take to get humanity back? I'm going to lay my life down for them. And until we can see how radical that is, we will always be under the shroud of death. Until we can see how radical the love of Christ is, we will be living under the shroud of death, living for ourselves always. But if you see it, if you see the radical grace of, of Christ and you internalize it and say, he loves me, just as Malcolm said to put your name in there, that he loves me. If you can see that, <laughs> then you come to life and then you see not, not only yourself coming to life, then you can see Waco different. You can see Waco not as something to take and to plunder from, but as something to serve and to love. And the power of Jesus Christ 
When he comes to love his enemies, to live and die sacrificially for them, oh, that changes you. That changes how you see one another here in, in, the, in our midst here. And it's the power to move you out of your grave clothes and to focus on the people around us. Isaiah 26, 19 goes on and says, But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Oh, what an Easter sermon. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm early. I get it. I feel bad talking about the resurrection during Lent season, but Easter is coming. Amen? And it's right here in this passage, which is kind of radical for the Old Testament to be talking about this, but this is the dead in Christ coming to life. And so why does Isaiah, in the midst of these people who are about to be on the brink of exile, talk not only just about the city of God and the city of man, these two ways of living, he then starts talking about this heavenly city. Why does he then start talking about this heavenly city, just saying, you know, cheer up, one day you'll enjoy it. That's not exactly what he's doing here. He's saying it this way. A missionary guy named Harvey Kahn says it this way. We are God's model home here on earth. You ever go to the, the, buy those, those new homes at the very front? There's the model home that tells you what the rest of the homes are going to be like. Harvey Kahn says that we are God's model home here on earth. That we are images, examples of what the heavenly city is going to be like. And so, of course, he gives them pictures of the heavenly city that we're all going to be a part of, a sample of what it will be. This is why we pray on earth as it is in heaven, to be a city within a city. We don't need to wait till one day, someday to see that shalom. We can have many resurrections and those dead in, in their sins coming to life all the time. Let's look for that shalom in this city right now. And so let me just ask you, how can... You show the love and hospitality of Christ in our city. What would that look like? What would that look like to have heaven here on earth in our midst? This passage teaches us that God is always at work. And even though the nations rage and they think that they are the main actors on the stage, God is at work and that there is a city within a city. And so the city of God is among us. It's a beautiful city. Let's be residents of it. Let me pray for us.